listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Welcome, Justine. Welcome, Natalie. Uh, today we're going to talk about the Miles Franklin Award. We're Woo! going to talk about books that have been shortlisted and longlisted and won um, over the past few years. I love the Miles Franklin. What a fabulous award, and it's just such a a wonderful thing. For those who don't know, the Miles Franklin Literary Award is a prize that's awarded each year to a novel which is of the highest literary merit and presents Australian life in any of its phases. So it's quite broad-ranging, and um, it's caught some controversy in its time, but I think the long list at the moment, there's nine authors and books long-listed, and, oh, it's such a good list. Yes. It's a nice mix, too, because often in the past, and in fact, this is the reason why the Stella Prize was instantly Often in the past, it's been very, very um, male heavy. Yes. Mm. Male heavy? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. I think it's entirely (laughs) inappropriate to say male heavy. Okay. But it's okay. (laughs) We've been there. We can move on from that. I think unbalanced in terms of gender of writers. Okay. And I think that is definitely what what kind of sparked the idea for the Stella Prize. And Stella is Miles Franklin's actual name when she wasn't publishing under Miles. Mm, I know and I think it's just a wonderful t- that we have a couple of different prizes for Australian writing actually. Exactly. And yes the Miles Franklin list is great this year and I urge everybody to get onto their website and have a little look but also I just want to give a shout out to Charlotte Wood who won the Stella Prize for the Natural Way of Things and hello Miss Natalie who picked that like months ago. Look I <laughs> didn't read the entire long list I only read four of the long list and then when it was short when it went from the long list to the short list, the Stella Prize, I had only read two. So it, it somehow feels like a fluke that the one that I loved the best actually no, won. Because no, no. I can't compare it to the full short list. But I have to say that, that The Natural Way of Things is one of the best books I read in 2015. It is, you know... I recommend it to everyone and people come back to me and say, why did you recommend this dark, <laughs> like dense, heavy, um, bleak upsetting book I'd and I say because it's great and it's important <laughs> you can't always read happy stories this is this is an important story there's so much going on well it, hopefully you know she'll have a good chance of winning the Miles Franklin as well wouldn't that be a coup I, I think I think they say a second bite of the cherry a second bite of the cherry because cherries are small and if you get two bites that's like double the fun well it's all gone isn't yeah, it pretty much the way and I also bite. cherries are summer so that's oh. a nice feeling too <laughs> I love cherries all right. Well, What's but, your favourite fruit? What's my favourite? Mangoes. Okay. Yeah. I would don't, say don't read too much into that, please. No, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I just was curious. I like cherries. But mandarins too? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I can do that. All right, sorry. <laughs> um, away you go. <laughs> Before we get started officially, um, we want to remind you, our listeners, that we'd love to hear what you've been reading. So tweet us at MelbLibrary, that's at M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader. And you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. All the books we mentioned will be listed on our show notes on our Goodreads page, and it's been great to see people chiming in with some ideas and suggestions and comments about our show notes so please jump on board and uh, get involved and chat to us Um, you can get to our Goodreads page via our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and go via the read page all right Justine what is your first Miles Franklin pick okay so my first pick for today is All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde now this is the winner actually of the Miles Franklin Awards in 2014 and I hadn't read it and 
was always on my list to read. So I thought, that's it. I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, good. And it's it great. was such... Oh, such a good read, yeah. such a good read. So just a few things. Um, Evie Wilde, uh, this was her second novel. Uh, her first novel is called After the Fire, A Still Small Voice. And that also won a couple awards um, when it was published. She was also shortlisted for the Orange Prize, the Commonwealth Writers' Prize and the International IMPAC Dublin Literary Award. So um, she's, you know, she's done, she's been around the traps. A lauded writer. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so All the Birds Singing, what's it about? Well... The main character is Jake White. She is the sole resident of an old farmhouse on an unnamed island, a place of ceaseless rains and battering winds. It's just her, her untamed companion dog, whose name is Dog, which I love, (laughs) and a flock of sheep, which is exactly how she wanted it to be. But something keeps coming for the sheep. Every few nights it picks one off and leaves it in rags. It could be anything. There are foxes in the woods, a strange boy and a strange man, rumours of an obscure, formidable beast. Who knows? Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. (laughs) And then there's Jake's unknown past, perhaps breaking into the present, a story that is hidden thousands of miles away and years ago. So the book is set between Australia and this remote English island. The chapters alternate between Jake's past and her present. And as we move through the book, each chapter in her Australian past goes further backwards until eventually we, well, actually closer to the end than I thought we would, um, we discover the tragic thing that happened and so shaped her life and left her broken but not beaten. It's a brooding kind of novel, which is actually kind of one of my favourite types of novels. Um, It tells the story of an outsider in a highly empathetic manner, but it's also full of a quiet menace, and it's really subtle in its depictions of beauty that is drawn from pain and suffering. There's an enigmatic stranger who has issues of his own, a local vet who constantly encourages Jake to become part of their small farming community by, like, he keeps saying, go have a drink at the pub with the single man. You know, that's kind of his, yeah. <laughs> go join in, go, you know, have fun. Um, I was really impressed by the poetic writing and the really strong sense of place, particularly for me, the Australian scenes were incredibly vivid. Yeah. As we learn more of Jake, we discover the trauma which sent her fleeing her family and eventually her country. It's a tough story, but it's a beautiful story and it left me wanting more from this author. So I'm actually going to be going back and reading her first novel as soon as I can. I really enjoyed it. Mm. So that's All the Birds singing by Evie Wilde, the 2014 Miles Franklin winner. So, Natalie, what's your next pick? Uh, well, my uh, first book for today is When the Night Comes by Favel Parrot. It was long-listed for the Miles Franklin Prize in 2015. That's super recent. That was just last year. <laughs> uh, and her previous novel, Past the Shallows, was shortlisted in 2012 as well. We are talking about much lauded writers so far we today are. on the program. Well, they should be. Yeah. Uh, Favel lives in Melbourne and has also lived in Hobart, which is important. That's detail you have to remember. Okay. Um, this book has a cat called Molly in it. There we go, just <laughs> in the interests of uh, people who like cats. Um, okay, so uh, when the night comes, Isla and her brother move with their mum to Hobart from the mainland um, of Australia um, and there everything becomes quite grey for Isla. Colours are important in this book. Um, the weather, the streets and her mother's sadness, which we don't quite It's never quite articulated. So we feel sad. We're not really sure why, but that's where we are. Maybe we're brooding. Maybe we are. Similar theme. Um, Isla is a pretty lonely kid. She watches lots of things happen, but she never feels like anything actually happens to her. She really is a bit of an observer. Uh, One morning on her way to school, um, which she has has to catch the ferry to attend, so she goes down to the the docks in Hobart, she sees a giant red ship in the harbour. Colour and some hope at this point return to Isla's life. The ship is important. It is red, it is huge, it's Danish, and it's called the Nella Dan. 
Um, and Isla starts to pin her hopes to this beautiful uh, colour in her life, this beautiful ship that she sees regularly. Here's a fact check for you because I'm a librarian. Um, Nella Dan was a re- real ship. Um, on the 3rd of December, so it did these um, treks from Hobart to Antarctica, sort of via Macquarie Island, all of these adventures, went on these grand adventures, and its crew was predominantly Danish. Um, on the 3rd of December in 1987, it ran aground, just metres from Macquarie Island, and after some time it was deemed, uh, deemed unsavageable, and here's my favourite water, it, my favourite word, although it is watery, scuttled. They Ooh. scuttled the Nelladan. Good word. And they sank it in deep waters off the coast of Macquarie Island on the 24th of December 1987, which is also Christmas and red. Isn't that amazing? The ship was red as well. Anyway, mm. Santa. Um, okay, <laughs> back to the book. Uh, <laughs> um, Isla's mother becomes friends with Bo, who's a cook and a sailor on the Nelladan. Uh, Bo spends time with Isla's family when he when the ship is docked in Hobart. He regales Isla with tales of the sea, with his trips to Antarctica, with the bird life, the animal life that he's seen, and also his home growing up in Denmark. And his kindness towards this family goes some way to consoling them, and it helps Isla particularly make sense of the things that she feels. When Bo is gone for long stretches of time on the Nelladan when the boat goes back out to sea, Isla returns to her loneliness and some of that colour seeps out of her life and her mother returns to her sadness. So Isla really doesn't have any comfort or kindness in her family when Bo is away. Um, I read When the Night Comes under a warm blanket with a cat curled up on my lap and I felt the cold and the wind that blew through the book at, for most of the time. But I also felt this sense of warmth that was kind of developing as the characters got to knew, know each other a little better. Um, there's lots of hope to be had in this book it is absolutely beautiful it is called when the night comes by fable parrot awesome all righty justine what's next for you right so my next pick is breath by tim winton it's the winner of the miles franklin in 2009 so tim winton is incredibly well known and well loved as an australian writer i'm sure most of our listeners will know who he is and breath is actually his 20th book his eighth novel for adults he is also the only writer ever to have won the Miles Franklin four times in his own right. His first Miles Franklin Award was for Shallows in 1984 when I was three. <laughs> I just found that that was important to, to share. So, Brett. Mm, Tim Winton. One day we should talk about my Tim Winton thing. Mm. I have a thing. Or not. Moving on. <laughs> Breath begins with us hitching a ride along with two paramedics, as they are called, to what appears to be a suicide of a teenage boy. Bruce, our main character, such an Australian name, um, doesn't seem to think that it was a suicide, and there's a hint that it's something shameful, something which he doesn't want to spell out to his paramedic partner, who doesn't actually seem to like him very much anyway. From here, we're then taken back into Bruce's childhood on the wild, lonely coast of Western Australia, where two thrill-seeking and barely adolescent boys fall into the enigmatic thrall of veteran big wave surfer Sando. Together they form an odd but elite trio. The grown man initiates the boys into a kind of Spartan ethos, a regimen of risk and challenge, where they test themselves in storm swells or remote and shark-infested reefs, pushing each other to the edges of endurance, courage and sanity sometimes. But where is all this heading? Why is Sando's past such forbidden territory? And what can explain his American wife's peculiar behaviour? Venturing beyond all limits in relationships, in physical challenge and in sexual behaviour, there is a point where oblivion is the only outcome. Breath is a rich and atmospheric coming-of-age tale, a story of extremes, extreme sports, extreme emotions, and of testing one's own limits against nature. 
Winton's writing is like a physical punch to your guts in parts of this book, and his descriptions of the Western Australian coast and surfing culture are evocative and compelling. Breath raises, raises disturbing questions about desire, about what lines are crossed during rites of passage, and just what ethical constraints affect relations between different generations of men and women. I'm actually not a Winton fan myself. I'm sorry, Natalie. No, don't apologise. You don't know what my Winton thing is yet. <laughs> and I hope I never will. <laughs> I never really liked his books, but then I read Breath and it quite literally took my breath away. It's a hard tale in a lot of ways, and yet it was an absolutely absorbing read. So that is Breath by Tim Winton. Okay, because you don't want to know, I'm telling you. Okay. So in year 12 which was a long time ago for me, <laughs> um, we read Minimum of Two, which I think is a short story collection of Tim Winton's. And I remember putting my hand up saying, oh, the author's doing this in this story and being told, no, that's not what the author's doing. The author's doing that. And thinking, huh, can the author do two things? Can the author do something different for me than they can for somebody else? No, I must be wrong. Anyway, we read the next story, same thing. Oh, I think that the author's doing this because I got it wrong last time. I want to get it right this time. No, still, Natalie, not quite right. That's not what Tim Winton's doing. Made me hate him. <laughs> Made me absolutely hate this guy. If I don't understand his books, I don't want to read them. Someone's <laughs> telling me I don't understand them, so I'm not interested in reading them. I don't think that's Tim Winton's fault, to be honest. No, it's not, but... <laughs> no, it's not at all. Of course it's not. I think my issue with Tim Winton is that I was told that I don't understand his books, so why would I bother reading more of them? But, you know, I'm a, I'm a grown-up now, and uh, same height as when I was in Year 12, but more mature, one hopes. So perhaps I need to go back and just kind of break down that Winton prejudice that I've been carrying for a Perhaps number of years. Do. do you think breath is the way? Because I'm with a fellow, you know, non-Winton person. Um, I wonder if breath is the way in. Or Cloud well, it's Street. the only one I like. So <laughs> I read Cloud Street and I had to grip my teeth the whole time going, oh, you've got to finish it, you've got to finish it. It's Tim Winton. Everybody loves Tim Winton. And I was like, oh, thank God that's over at the end of it. And I know people love it and I I, I apologise if I'm offending any Tim Winton fans out there. His writing in breath was amazing and I loved it. I just, sometimes it's like nails on a blackboard to me, though. Sometimes a writer, just the style or the way they're, they're writing or I don't know what it is, but he's he does that for me. Nails on a blackboard and life's too short. But read breath. It was really, really good. <laughs> well, with that glowing recommendation, <laughs> I might just take it right out of your hands and start reading it now. How about I don't? I talk about Please something Please talk else. about your next pick. All right. <laughs> This glorious book that I'm going to talk about is something that I loved from start to finish, and I totally got it, so take that. <laughs> it's called The Eye of the Sheep by Sophie Laguna, and it won the Miles Franklin in 2015, which also wasn't very long ago. Um, there is one cat in this book, but I have to warn you, it meets a grisly end. You have to be prepared for that. I was not prepared, and it was really quite emotional for me. Um, there is a very happy dog in the book called Ned, so if you're an animal lover you'll get half of your dreams coming true in this one. So Jimmy's the main character of The Eye of the Sheep and he's a really sweet kid. He has a motor that runs a bit too fast, however. He repeats things that he hears, he's a repeater, um, and he calms down by reading manuals for things like vacuum cleaners and fridges. Those sorts of um, instructional documents give his mind a sense of calm. And his mum is his anchor. Um, when his cells are spinning too quickly, and this is language that he uses to describe what's going on around him, she, his mum, she's the thing that he needs that grounds him. Um, his father is an alcoholic, um, 
who abuses Jimmy's mum when he's quite drunk and Jimmy's older brother leaves as soon as he's old enough, which really just leaves Jimmy as a buffer between his kind of volatile parents. Um, as readers, we're inside Jimmy's head the whole time. The book is told from his perspective. We see events from his perspective entirely. We don't see anybody else's view of what's going on. And he's actually a hopeful kid, despite what's going on around him. The way he tries to make sense of the violence that he witnesses um, inside his home is quite innocent. Um, and to us as readers who probably have an outside perspective of what's going on, it's quite heartbreaking to, um, uh, to, to, to um, I guess, be immersed in his viewpoint of what's going on because to, to him, he, he understands what's happening, but um, he, the way he makes sense of it is a little innocent. Um, I, I really loved the language that Sophie gave Jimmy. Um, the analogies that he uses, the explanations that he has for why some things happen the way they do. Um, there is such great hope in this book, um, but also great tragedy. I have to tell you, it's 300 pages long. I started crying at about page 180 and I didn't stop. I did not stop crying for the second half of the book. I finished it um, very late one night in bed. I could not put it down and I had to turn my pillow over because my pillowcase was <laughs> soaked, absolutely saturated, truly glorious. I don't regret a second of reading it. It was hard but so rewarding and so um, just the language that she gave Jimmy was just beautiful. just wanted to hug him, you know. Yeah. yeah. I know you've read this one. I read it and I loved it so much. I, I devoured it. I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. Mm -hmm. And I just started reading it as, a, as you would any old book that you didn't know what you were getting in for. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden I've realised... Uh oh, I am I am in this kid's head. I'm yes. looking out through his eyes, and he's amazing. And I hadn't really experienced that as a reading experience before. Mm. When you're actually looking at the world from this young person's innocent point of view, and and watching things that are not so innocent happening around you, and yep. trying to figure it out, and especially when you do have this kind of motor that runs too fast, and you know, like he does, and and oh my gosh, it was just amazing, and I actually really loved it. It was yes, hard, terrible, difficult stuff happens, but wow, what a book! And it's just yeah. the writing, and ah, oh, <laughs> all my you know touchstones of of, of what makes something amazing for me was in that book. Yeah, Sophie Laguna did a brilliant job mm. with The Eye of the Sheep. The second, This is the second book I've talked about, both told from the perspective of children. There you go. Oh, just wait for my third one. <laughs> um, speaking of third one, what's your third pick for today? Right, well, my third pick for today is Bereft by Chris Womersley. This one was shortlisted in 2011's Miles Franklin Awards. So, it's 1919... And as the Spanish flu epidemic is sweeping Australia, Sergeant Quinn Walker returns home from the Great War to face the ghosts of his past. Ten years earlier, he fled his far-flung Australian country town accused of an unspeakable crime. Aware of the townsman's vow to hang him should he ever return, Quinn takes to the surrounding hills. Here, deciding upon his plan of action and questioning just what he has returned for, he meets a young and somewhat ethereal girl, Sadie Fox. Bereft has a world tragedy as its background. Unimaginable, unreasonable violence dominates Quinn's life, and its resolution seems to be more violence. Yet he clings to the shadow of his mother who's dying from influenza and the companionship of Sadie. This mysterious girl seems to know and share his darkest fear. And as their bond strengthens, Quinn comes to understand what he must do to lay the ghosts of his past and Sadie's present to rest and the courage that this will take. Definitely one of my favourite reads ever, and one book I recommend to almost 
anybody <laughs> who asks me for a recommendation. This is a haunting Australian story which stayed with me long after I read it. There's a passage early on where Quinn is remembering eating an orange and how he used to peel the orange in one go and, and his description is just so vivid that I was craving oranges for weeks after reading the book. I couldn't, I was like, why do I want an orange? Like, I'm not that into oranges. And then I was like, oh, it's that book again. <laughs> mangoes are your favourite fruit. Well, there you see, you've been paying attention, Natalie. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. I have. <laughs> um, it's also a really incredibly descriptively beautiful book. The sense of place evoked by the author is painfully bleak um, and instantly recognisable. The writing is subtle. It draws you ever so gently into the story until you are thoroughly in its grip. It's dark and brooding yet again <laughs> with gothic overtones, but also with elements of hope and joy. I really loved it, but it's a completely compelling read. The language gets under your skin. The landscapes, both the inner landscape of the characters and the outer landscape of the Australian outback, are really vivid and startling. The characters are truly alive to the reader. The story is slow burning, but it's intense. And we follow Quinn and Sadie's journey from fear to courage and maturity. This is a book to savour, a story you cannot help but see through to the end, and one which will linger long after you put it down. It's beautifully written, spare. I've said compelling already, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, The tragedy and bleakness of the story are at times almost unbearable, but um, Chris Wilmersley's beautiful writing and intensity makes Bereft unforgettable. So that's Bereft by Chris Wilmersley, and I love it. (laughs) And... Uh, Natalie. What would you give it out of five, Justine? I'm really struggling to understand. Six, of course. Okay, I should have known. Six mangoes out of oranges? Okay. I don't know why I didn't win. But anyway, your next pick, please. My... My next and a fin- our final pick for the podcast today is Ghost River by Tony Birch. I love Tony Birch. I'm saying that. <laughs> it's being recorded. There you go. Um, Ghost River is on the long list this year, 2016, for the Miles Franklin Award. Um, one of Tony's previous novels, Blood, was shortlisted in 2012. Um, and Tony was born into a large Aboriginal, Irish and West Indian family. He lives in, he lives in Melbourne. Um, he often writes about our beautiful city, so it was lovely to kind of be immersed into another pocket of Melbourne. I'll tell you about a bit about that. Uh, Ren and Sonny are 12-year-old neighbours. They're boys and they're best friends. Uh, Ren is quiet and he likes to spend his time drawing birds. It's pretty cute. Um, Sonny is a bit of a rebel, and but he has a good heart underneath. But he finds himself getting into trouble often, you know, those kind of boys. Um, the two boys bond over the river. It's never named as the Yarra River, but it totally is. <laughs> um, and on their adventures there, they meet a group of homeless men who live under a bridge. Now, my knowledge of Melbourne's river systems is not what it perhaps should be when I'm talking about the river, perhaps. Uh, but my understanding is that this is set in the Abbotsford Collingwood part of the Yarra um, as it bends around and there are a number of bridges and certainly now roads that cross the river but when the book is set uh, none of that is going on. Um, There are lots of adventures, the boys jump off bridges, they float down the Yarra, um, they explore the areas surrounding the river, the car yards, the kind of different businesses that go along. They um, they do. They go on a paper round. Come on, how cute! Aww. And they drink lemonade in pubs, where it's kind of like lots of men through, you know, all the corners of the room drinking beers and having shenanigans. And these two twelve-year-old boys sitting at the bar drinking lemonade after their paper round. It's just so evocative of kind of fifties Melbourne. Um, 
When the boys learn that there's a plan to develop the land near the river and put in a freeway, it's going to impact on where their friends, other men who live under the bridge, um, live. It's going to impact on that space and it's going to impact on the quality of water of the river and certainly on the shape of it. So it will alter basically what is their childhood playground and they feel very strongly that that shouldn't happen. So they take matters into their own hands. On their bikes. Oh, I love it. This book is about a growing friendship between two young men and two young men who really are latchkey kids. They come and go as they please. They all, they have families to answer to, but they really are on their own. Um, it reads like a boy's own adventure story with brave heroes. Um, I recommend this book all the time to adults, but I think it's perfect for a young adult audience as well. It reads the same way as Robinson Crusoe, Huckleberry Finn's Swiss Family Robinson, all of those kind of outdoor roll your pants up and get your feet wet kind of <laughs> adventures. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. It's just, it's so beautiful. And it really tells a tale, not just, I mean, the the, the theme that runs through it is the river. Um, and so, you know, if anyone's ever had a connection to place, to country, to land, to water, to nature, then this book speaks to all of those things. It truly is a modern day fable, even though it's set a few years ago. It truly, yeah, it really is. Uh, I, I feel like it's quite modern that kind of, you know, progress in inverted commas is still going on around natural waterways and natural uh, forests and whatnot all over the world. And that discussion is an important one to have. And I think Tony handles it brilliantly. Um, five million stars, Ghost River by Tony Birch. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that one, actually. Yeah, you haven't really read it yet? No, you've seen my book pile. You know what it's like. <laughs> Put it on the top. On the top, Justine, on the top. Alrighty. I just want to say what a fabulous thing it is to go back and look at the Miles Franklin list from because on their website you can actually see all the um, shortlists and long lists and winners yep. and it's just um, there's some amazing Australian writers out there or people writing about Australia mm. and I definitely recommend that everybody out there listening get onto the website or pop into the library and, and ask the questions and uh, we can help you find some of these amazing books and in fact we should have all of the current long list available in the library for you as well so do jump onto the library website www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and check out the catalogue for the Miles Franklin long list this year. Thanks, so, Justine. <laughs> a little bit of a spruik there. Go for it. Um, well, that's our show. Uh, you can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the read page. And we'd love to know what you have been reading or for you to ask us for a reading recommendation. You can tweet us at melblibrary, M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, and use the hashtag DearReader or join the conversation on our Goodreads page. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes past and present <laughs> via our iTunes account or on our SoundCloud account. And you can get to both of those links um, on the Read page at the Melbourne Library Service website. And just search for Melbourne Library Service and subscribe because even though we're called Dear Reader, we are a Melbourne Library Service podcast, so just look for them. And if you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love you to leave us a review as well on iTunes. It helps others find out about us and gives us a nice warm fuzzy glow. We've had two lovely reviews, Aww. Justine. And neither of them we know, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'd also like to mention the wonderful music on our program is courtesy of Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And until next time, dear reader, thanks for listening.